0: Good afternoon, I'm Shelby Herbert. Welcome to Midday Magazine for February the 3rd, 2023. Southeast Alaska has seen an uptick in fentanyl waste pills. Fentanyl is a highly addictive opioid, 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. In Petersburg and other Southeast communities, law enforcement has found fentanyl most often in counterfeit blue pills, which are designed to look like the prescription opioid Oxycontin. KFSK's Rachel Cassandra has more.
1: So we're gonna go over today how to use the Narcan spray. That's public health nurse, Erin Michael. She's at a resource fair in Petersburg. And this is used for if you suspect somebody has overdosed from an opioid or a heroin. She's training a resident on how to administer Narcan nasal spray. It can help reverse an opioid overdose temporarily. Too much of an opioid
0: affects the parts of the brain that control breathing and it can slow or stop
1: breathing. So you always, always want to call 911. The Public Health Center has been giving away overdose kits for free and showing people how to use them. The kits have the nasal spray and strips that can test if a drug has fentanyl in it. Michael says anecdotally, there are reports of increased fentanyl in Petersburg, which can lead to overdoses.
2: I have been hearing of increased fentanyl that I can't get into details because we're such a small community and for privacy reasons. So it's really, really important that people know that it is happening in our communities.
1: In January, there were two likely overdoses in Skagway. Two Sitkins were also charged with intent to distribute fentanyl pills. Craig Campbell is a lieutenant at the Juneau Police Department. He's also part of the statewide drug enforcement team. He says Juneau has seen a rise in fentanyl.
3: Fentanyl has become just more prevalent across the United States. You know, sometimes Alaska maybe uh, takes a little bit longer to get things up here, but we're seeing more pills come in that we're catching.
1: Campbell says there have also been more overdoses.
3: We're seeing more people that are, it's a fatal overdose or people that are o- overdosing and then their lives are being saved by maybe first responders or even other people uh, nearby them that are using things like Narcan to save their lives.
1: He says pills with fentanyl can be any color, but most commonly in Southeast, the pills are blue. They're designed to look like oxycodone pills. They have the letter M on one side and the number 30 on the other. But Campbell says the pills are fake.
3: The oxycodone, oxycodone used to be a widely abused drug in the United States at some point over the past six, eight years, it's much harder to obtain. So it will say drug dealers or drug cartels are now making counterfeit versions of this pill because uh, that's the pill what people like. He
1: says illicit drug manufacturers use fentanyl because it's a cheap and easy way to create a potent pill.
3: Since it's a synthetic drug that's counterfeit, people can make it and fentanyl itself is very low cost.
1: And he says even taking one of these pills could lead to an overdose
3: controlled substance like these drugs are not tested for quality and purity so some drugs could have more or less and it can take one one pill uh, fentanyl can be considered lethal for people and i can't say it's not always lethal but it can be
1: back at the resource fair michael wraps up her narcan training and it could save a life so we appreciate you getting that michael gave five narcan trainings at petersburg's resource fair She says she hopes people take steps to protect themselves, their friends, and their loved ones. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. In Petersburg, residents can pick up
0: kits with Narcan at the Public Health Center at 103 Fram Fram Street, the lower level of the PMC. Many kits include strips that can test drugs for fentanyl. To report drug sales or trafficking anonymously, go to JunoCrimeline.com or talk to a local police officer. A Petersburg nonprofit will be cutting our... Up Art to Pieces this weekend for the sake of putting the community back together. WAVE, which stands for Working Against Violence for Everyone, is hosting a biannual fundraising event in which paintings will be chopped up and sold off. Annette Bennett is the executive director of WAVE. They spoke with KFSK about the
2: event and said they're excited to have it back after a few years' hiatus. So, we do it every other year in the odd years. Um, And because of the pandemic, of course, we didn't have one. So, we're so excited. I think the artists are also really excited to be doing things and creating things. And the gist of it is that we have some amazing artists in Petersburg and they create a very large piece that we then cut up, which is terrifying. But they offer people to just buy one little piece. So, you could buy like a one inch square of someone's art piece if you'd like, and you get to kind of choose it. all kind of random so we pick numbers and you come in you get assigned a number and then when your number's drawn you get to go up and make your selection there's also a silent auction that's going to be happening along with the dessert auction which is the first time we've ever done that and then we have some fun hors d'oeuvres and foods and things and then a cash bar for beer and wine and then some mocktails that's also going to be available awesome that's awesome this is the first time i've ever
0: heard of anything like what you're describing i've never heard of the cutting up of the art That is really incredible. How did you guys get this idea?
2: It was actually a former board president that had participated in an event in another place and then came here and brought it to us. And it's been really fun. It was really interesting to figure out the dynamics of that. Like, what do you mean we're cutting this piece up? And there are some artists that just really cannot be present, which is understandable that, you know, they put so much work and time into this. And then to see it be cut up into this weird, unique space or shape that someone wanted is just very different. But it's also really cool to go, Visit some of your friends and see this little piece that someone selected that was like, oh, I remember that art by the inch that you cut out and is on your wall now. So it's really fun. So
0: the art that the organization is working with, is it is it multimedia, just
2: paintings, just drawings? What can I expect to see? The art that's going to be cut up might be watercolor, it might be acrylic, it might be chalk or something. And does WAVE have any abstract goal for fundraising for this event? Or is it just kind of, you know, we'll see what happens? We don't have a fundraising goal, but we definitely could use some funds right now. We just found out that, you know, we are for sure having to move again, which is super sad for Wave. So we're looking for another space to rent or maybe buy in the future. We could raise that much money. That'd be amazing to find a location for Wave to exist permanently because since I've been the director, we have moved three times and that's three times too many. Could you speak to the priorities of the organization in the coming year, 2023? Yeah, our big priority is finding a place for us to go. But after we find that, we have some goals. After doing all the surveys that we have bugged our community for, we took that information and now are prioritizing what can we accomplish with the number of staff that we have. We realize that the community is feeling really disconnected right now. So our goal is to find activities that can really bring the community back together and having conversations and um, just connecting with people. Isolation is really hard, as we all learn through the pandemic. So we want to break down some of those barriers. So that's going to be our big focus is just connecting folks. Another thing that we also are continuing to do is our advocacy services. So if anyone is experiencing domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking, um, that's something that WAVE has advocates who have been trained to provide support. And, you know, we're here and available to connect with people.
0: So using that as an example, how would fundraising expand an initiative like that? Like, would you bring on more
2: people or does it help pay for training materials, things like that? Our goal is to have a staff of six people. I think that is really what would meet the needs of the community. Right now we have four, so we're just kind of prioritizing with what we have. And ideally, though, I think it would be amazing to have a staff of six people who can provide advocacy services and then also our providing department so that we don't need to provide as many advocacy services, hopefully in the future. Thank you so much, Annette. Is there anything I didn't ask
0: that you'd like the community to know about your program, about this upcoming
2: event, just (laughs) life advice, anything like that? I don't know about life advice, but um, I really hope folks are able to come to Art by the Inch. Just come have a fun time. It's going to be great to see people and just connect. So good times. That was Annette Bennett, executive director of
0: WAVE on how they will allocate funds raised by Art by the Inch. The event is set to take place Saturday night from 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. at the Sons of Norway Hall. Non-resident deer hunters will be limited to two bucks in one of the most prolific units in southeast Alaska, the board of game decided last week. The decision came a day after the board had declined to reduce the sport bag limit from six to four deer in the same region. region. Robert Woolsey reports from Sitka.
4: The state has made it clear there is not a problem with the deer population in Game Management Unit 4. Rather, there is a people problem. Jake Fletcher is a board member from Talkeetna who brought Proposal 10 back for reconsideration on Monday, January 23rd, just a day after the Board of Game had unanimously voted to keep the sport bag limit at six deer for hunters on Admiralty, Baranoff, and Chichikov Islands, the so-called ABC Islands.
3: Um, as the department stated earlier, you know, there's, there's not, a, not a biological concern on overharvest of this population. But... Um, I think that it's going to reduce user (laughs) conflict. I think that under certain weather conditions, certain bays get incredibly crowded, Uh, maybe a uh, uh, non-residents coming into conflict with with residents, and I think that, that this really addresses that problem.
4: Sitka, Angoon, and Huna are the largest communities in the ABC Islands, but hunters from Juneau can make it down by boat or float plane if the weather is good. While there are special harvest restrictions around Huna, which has a developed road system, The remainder of Unit 4, with thousands of miles of forest and shoreline, is available for any sport hunter hoping to fill six tags. Unit 4 is not being overrun by out-of-state hunters. As ADF&G biologist Steve Bethune puts it, non-resident hunting on the ABC islands is adjunct to resident hunting, or to guided hunts for brown bear.
3: There's not a whole lot of non-resident Deer hunters in Unit 4, uh, and very few that are very few that are guided. I would say there there are very few guides that take deer hunters specifically. It's usually an add-on to a, a fall brown bear hunt. Uh, and certainly, there are a few deer hunters, but uh, generally it's an add-on. And I think we talked about earlier how uh, most of the non-resident hunters in Unit 4 are friends and family of people who live uh, in Unit 4 and are just coming up. So they're probably staying uh, with their friends and family, or they're staying on uh, most of the guided hunts are are large boat-based hunts, and so they're staying uh, on on those vessels.
4: Just the day before, the Board of Game had voted down Proposal 10, which would have cut the sport bag limit for deer on the ABC Sea Islands from 6 to 4. A second similar proposal was withdrawn by its author. Both proposers are active sport hunters in the area, concerned that although the deer population was abundant at the moment, a heavy winter or two could easily change that. Resurrecting Proposal 10 and substituting a two-buck limit for non-residents in place of the overall bag limit reduction seemed like a nod toward compromise, especially for subsistence hunters in HUNA who feel the most pressure from out-of-town sport hunters. The board took the additional step of lowering the non-resident limit in the HUNA controlled use area as well. Board Chair Jerry Burnett thought this was a reasonable approach.
3: We heard from the department that this would make it uniform across the entire unit for the non-residents. Makes sense.
4: On reconsideration, the state board of game unanimously adopted an amended version of Proposal 10, which now limits the harvest of black-tailed deer by non-residents to two bucks in Unit 4. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
0: In 2018, a downtown Juneau house caught fire. It was the home of writer Ernestine Hayes, after that, her writing was on hold while she spent countless hours negotiating with contractors and insurance. She lived in hotels and apartments,
5: using her life savings to fix the house. And I was here and there throughout, and I didn't have a whole lot of time to, I didn't have any time to set up a computer and have a writing space at all. Last week, she was awarded a United States Artists Fellowship.
0: It comes with fifty thousand dollars, which will allow her to recover from her loss
5: and get back to writing this uh fellowship uh, allows me to catch up with what I owe the i r s on all this uh, all these uh, expenses for rehabbing the house and has allowed me to be able to afford to rent my own little apartment. I'm in a better place now. This is exactly the sort of thing the fellowship was made for.
0: Hayes says getting fellowships and award like this offers more than just funding.
5: When I received the Rasmussen Distinguished Artist, I realized that I was part of a a community, which is something that I never fully felt throughout my life, and it made me feel valued. Her next book, she said, is about the beings or relatives in what she calls the Spoken Forest. People we don't find, people who are missing, people who run away from boarding schools and are never found, and maybe even everyone who walks into the forest. I think they are all still there. And I believe that when it's time and we enter the forest, they will be there to greet us.
0: She kept track of the ideas for this book through the chaos of losing her home. With this award, she's closer to putting them to paper. This is Shelby Herbert. Thanks so much for joining me for Midday Magazine.